0: Today, we are in week, I believe, four of our kingdom series. Uh, we're going to take a bit of a break from uh, the message, which is all about how the kingdom of God operates, and really, it's not a break, because we're going to be talking about how the kingdom of God has operated here for 30 years, but it's going to be a bit of a, a history lesson. So many of you are new with us, and so many of you didn't know my dad, uh, so I'm going to talk about the last 30 years, a bit of a history lesson, but I've taken notes And I have little lessons that I'm going to pull out from each one of these um, little stories. Uh, Really, there's, in my mind, this is the mind of of B.J. Sullivan. I'm 39 years old. I've been here for 30 years of my life, which means some of those years I was a kid, which means I remember some of those years probably the way a kid or a teenager would remember them. So it may not be the way some of you guys remember this entire thing. Not, not the actual stories, but just the time periods. I kind of have them labeled in my mind as five different distinct time periods. Five different major seasons here at FCG. And I've pulled uh, a lesson out of each one of them. But that's what I want to talk about today. And I think this will work. If it doesn't work i'm really sorry but i got pictures from the last 30 years that are just going to be flashing across the of the screen we can go ahead and start that now some are from 30 years ago some are from a few months ago so they're kind of in a random order but there's just going to be pictures up there for all of us to look at uh, there's pictures of pastor kent who was our first worship leader and associate pastor who's here with us today it makes me so happy just moved back to Gaston. that's my mom doing children's church fully probably nine months pregnant with my sister Abigail. There's Miss Tony. Now here's that's Ava Joe. Now see, my daughter has given me a perfect introduction for what you can't do, right? Because I'm going to be speaking. You can't look at the screen and be like, oh, it's Jerry, it's Tony. Aren't they so cute 30 years ago? So you can look. You can look, but you just can't. You can't gawk out loud because that's going to be... See, now you're all doing it again. You know what? Let's just watch the slideshow. There's Tom reading his favorite verse. Uh, I can't say his favorite verse out loud, but if you ask Tom his favorite verse, he'll tell you. It's one of the two verses in the Bible that you just probably shouldn't say out loud all the time. But there you go. First worship team there, that's Pastor Kent, Mike Cavell. That's me playing bass and Michael A. playing sax. That's the day my dad made us all lead worship wearing Groucho Marx glasses. I don't know why, but that's my dad there in the front. I don't know if you saw my post yesterday, but I think he probably, we probably just got full of ourselves as a worship team and needed to be a little bit humbled. Okay, so there will be pictures up there for this whole time. Feel free to look. Enjoy them. Get a picture of what the last 30 years has looked like as I tell you these stories. But once again, Ava Joe, can we gawk at the pictures out loud? Yeah. Yes, she says yes, but really the answer is no. Okay, so... Do your best to listen. Again, like I said, we're going to see if this works. But 30 years of ministry, listen, we have seen so much. Here's two verses I want to read. So instead of having verses up there, we're going to keep these pictures going. Also, yes, the stage was painted like a cartoon version of the Old Testament temple with a cross in the middle. That's my dad blowing a shofar. Uh, I was talking to John and Carol about shofars just a few weeks ago. My dad had shofars for every occasion. And I uh, gave them all away. He, he was not a person who was attached to things. He would have something he liked a lot, and he would give it away all the time. So I have, like, one of those in my office. And there's the church 30, 30 years ago. It was called New Life Christian Fellowship. Obviously, that tree's grown a little bit. All right. So I don't think the pictures will be a, a huge distraction. But keep on looking at those. I'm going to read this verse, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 12 and 13. This is why I'm doing this today. For this reason, I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things. Though you know and are established in the present truth, yes, I think it is right, as long as I am in this tent, to stir you up by reminding you. So Peter's writing to the church here, and he says, I understand you know the word. I understand you went through all these things that I'm reminding you about, but it's good for me to remind you because it's going to stir you up on the inside. And I'm telling you, we're going to leave here stirred. Up today. I said this earlier, I'm going to say this again, but Psalm 84, I have not been able to read this, or there's a song we sang last Sunday, happy are those who dwell in the house of the Lord. I've not been able to think about that verse in the past two weeks without getting emotional. And the reason is, is because my family, we've lived that verse. Happy are those who dwell in the house of the Lord. We've been through, I mean, really everything you can imagine here in Gastonia as a part of this community with our our church established we've been through just about everything every season of life you can imagine but I can tell you the truth is that happy are those who dwell in the house of the Lord it's not just about a building made of brick and mortar I'm grateful for this building I'm grateful for this property we've been able to gather for 30 years and worship together but you know the church is not this building the house of the Lord is not this building Right, This building will not last forever. One day it will be gone. But the house of the Lord is, is, is all these folks sitting around you. The house of the Lord is, is here on the inside of you, number one. It's your family. It's, it's all of us here gathered as the body of Christ. And when we are dwelling together, when we're serving each other, I mean, our serve team gets here early in the morning and has a, a little roundup where we remind each other every week that we're not just here to serve the kids and to set out some pastries, but we're creating an environment where our brothers and sisters can come in in the middle of a busy week or whatever's going on and have an encounter with the Lord that's not distraction, but where we can focus on each other. That's why we do these things, and for 30 years now, We've been doing that here at FCG, and I'm telling you, thousands and thousands of lives have been changed. I've just been recounting the testimonies all this week in my heart. Lisa and I were leading worship in Colorado this week at an event with Andrew Womack. And you know, you you play music and you you have some downtime, and you play music and you have some downtime. So, didn't have all the regular stuff throughout the week, you know, taking up my time. I was having, I had a lot of time this week to recount the things that the Lord has done here, and it has stirred me up. So here's a bit of history with some lessons mixed in. Some of you just don't know what you're a part of. But in 1984, goes back to 1984, my mom and dad, my dad started pastoring his first church, Shiloh United Methodist in Concord, North Carolina. Now, what the Methodist church didn't know is that a few years before 1984, my dad got filled with the Holy Spirit and was a spirit-filled, tongue-talking, wild man uh, who was put in a suit with a backwards collar and given a little country church in Concord, North Carolina to pastor over. And uh, I believe the church grew while they were there. And then in 1984, 1988, the denomination moved mom and dad to Gastonia. And, and I feel like if it wasn't immediate, very quickly after, they knew they were called to this city. At Faith Methodist, we met some lifelong friends and ministry partners. Kent and Kent Balkum, who's here with us today, was there and led worship at the Methodist Church with an acoustic guitar, which was not probably welcomed with open arms at the time in 1988. Right? Mom sang in the choir. Jerry and Tony Corrigan were there. There's videos of, of, well, there's Jerry as a mom right there. I can't do that. All right. Uh, there are videos of of all of us kids, Corrigan kids, Sullivan kids, in little kid productions in the Methodist church. And all the time at the Methodist church, my dad was meeting with a group of pastors at 5 a.m. on Sunday mornings from multiple denominations, which did not happen that much back then. But cross denominational 5 a.m. prayer in the basement of Faith Methodist Church. And let me tell you, Revival broke out in that church. People were coming in from off the streets that had never been saved and getting saved and beginning to to be a part of the ministry. There are people that serve as executive pastor roles here in the city that got saved at the Methodist Church with mom and dad. In fact, he'd be proud to say this, but a good friend of ours, Terry Mole, is the executive pastor at Union Road Church of God. He got saved in the Methodist Church when my mom and dad led him to the Lord. There's people serving all over this community were impacted by the ministry at Faith Methodist for the four years my family was there. And then during that time, the Methodist church told my parents, you're going to have to move. We're going to have to move you probably to, I think they were saying a little mountain town somewhere, right? But they knew they were called to Gastonia. And the short version is there was a lot of people at Faith Methodist that didn't like all the changes and a lot of new people. And if my dad was to start a new church, man, a lot of those folks at the Methodist church would have been happy to see... All those new people follow him, and that's what happened. So to stay in Gastonia, my parents broke off from the Methodist Church, started this church right here on July fifth, 1992, through a ministry based out of Florida called New Life Christian Fellowship. The pastor there at New Life, Paul Zink, uh, was my dad's pastor. My dad would meet with him once a month. One of the things I really respect and remember about my dad was he never just wanted to be an island unto himself. He, he knew that you couldn't make it on your own. He has to have a pastor pouring into him if he wants to be a pastor to people. So he met with Paul Zink down in Florida once a month. But let me tell you a little bit about what starting a church meant for my parents in 1992. It meant that God said, do something. And here's what their yes meant in the natural. In the natural, their yes meant leaving the one salary the family had, because my mom was a stay-at-home mom, It meant leaving the parsonage that the church paid for. It meant starting over. And guess what else the church owned? The refrigerator, the microwave, the couch, the chairs, the paintings on the walls. My parents had nothing because as Methodist pastors, the church provides all of that. So saying yes to the Lord in 1992 or probably in 91, yes, we're going to start a church. It meant starting over completely with an eight-year-old son and a six-year-old daughter from nothing. How many of you in your 30s can say, I heard a word from the Lord that basically took me down to nothing and I said yes. If that's you, awesome. Thank you, Jesus. You know what we've seen now for the last 30 years? That when you say yes, you find provision. That's what I spoke to Aaron and Macy even a few weeks ago when we talked about them moving on. I said, listen, if y'all are saying yes to the Lord you're going to find more provision than you've ever wanted. What does that come from? Well, all through the word, one of my favorite stories is Elijah. He has to go give the king a hard word. It's not going to rain until I say it's going to rain. And after he gave the king the word, the Lord said, Now go to the brook. I've commanded the ravens to feed you there. That's called your place called there, right? We just got back from Andrew Womack's campus in in Colorado. When you pull up onto his campus, there's a sign that says, welcome to your place called there. But listen, when you say yes, Lord, I'll go to there. When you get there, you find provision. And a lot of times you just don't see it until you get there. It's there waiting on you. The ravens had food. They were there at the brook. All he had to do was go to it. And isn't that a picture right there? The ravens can fly. Why didn't they just bring him the food? No, he had to go to there. When you say yes to the Lord and you go to the place called there, You find provision even when in the natural it makes no sense. The Bible says that he gives us grace for the time of need. So there's not some type of physical account that you can look at and say, all right, I got five grams of grace left so I can say yes to this one thing that only cost me two, right? I've got three more left. That's not how it works. You just got to have faith. You got to believe that there's grace for the time of need. You say yes, you go to there, and you see provision Every time. And and, and from that time of life in the ministry of this church, uh, my parents really starting this 84 to 92, I think that's the biggest lesson we can pull from that. When you say yes and you go to there, the place God is calling you, you find provision every time. And let me tell you, there's a common thread that you're going to see from 1984 all the way to now. And that is prayer and worship have been the common threads for 30 plus years of ministry. Prayer and and worship not rushing and trying to get through the worship section so we get to the important part uh, my mom was telling me a story it ended up being the largest giving day in the history of faith methodist church but my dad one sunday said hey we're not going to take up an offering today we're just going to worship or we're just going to do whatever but we're not taking up an offering well then somebody tell you his boss did not like that he got rebuked but the result was people said, you can't tell me not to give. And they gave anyway. And it was the biggest giving day ever. So listen, side note, next week we're not giving at all. All right? Next week, don't come prepared to give. Just come on to church, and, and, and uh, we'll see if it works again. Actually, we're just going to give next week. We give every week. I'm just, y'all are in a church that, that uh, needs to be provoked, which is awesome. Um, that was Joke, But here we go. Common thread through that time and through every time you're going to hear is prayer and worship. My parents have been, uh, man, champions of prayer and worship. My dad taught us to pray. I was telling Brandon this morning, there was a season Tom Potter was there. Pastor Kent was there. I believe we got together about every Saturday morning at 5 a.m. and prayed. And uh, then Sunday started early as well, probably six or so. And that was life for a long, long time. And we would go down. A, we would go through the Lord's Prayer. Every Saturday morning, our Father who art in heaven, and then you stop. Thank you that you're our Father. Thank you that you are our, our, our Dad. Thank you that you love us like a parent. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thank you for your name, Jehovah Jireh, that you provide for us. Jehovah Rofi, that you healed our body. Jehovah Sid canoe, our peace. Jehovah, and we would go through the names of God. Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Lord, if it's not in heaven, it doesn't belong on earth. So we thank you. Sickness has no place here in our church. And right now, we rebuke it in Jesus' name. Poverty has no place in our body. We rebuke poverty in Jesus' name. That kingdom come, that will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Thank you, Father, that you provide for us. Thank you that you feed our family. Thank you that you provide even when it doesn't look like the provision is there. Thank you that when the account is low, the bills still get paid. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our trespasses. Thank you, Jesus, that you paid the price for our sins, that you forgave us on Calvary. Before we ever existed in the natural, you made a way for us and forgave our sins. Past, present, future. Forgive those that sin against us. Lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. And we prayed these prayers, and we prayed together, and then we worshiped together. When the church started in 92, I would say one of the main things that we did was worship. In fact there was some services between 92 and 96 when there was more people on the stage, this stage right here, than were in the congregation. I remember specifically one Sunday when there was about 12 people in the worship team and about eight people in the congregation. But we have always been a place where we worshiped. In fact, Pastor Kent will tell you this, there was plenty of Sundays. Uh, the list of songs they were going to play got thrown out before the service ever started. And, and like Austin and Lisa and all these guys do every once in a while, they would just play music and sing whatever came on their heart for hours. I'm telling you, for hours. Songs were written. There was original songs being played all the way back in 1992. I still remember some of them. I remember one Pastor Kent wrote. I wish uh, I wish he could just play it today, but I don't know if he remembers that. I remember it, right? It was a great song. But in 92, we started our church here, New Life Christian Fellowship. And do you know what Do you know, between the worship and the prayer movements, you know what else we saw here, which was maybe not quite as common as it feels now, but the gifts of the Holy Spirit in operation. I would say that was maybe even the focus of some of those first years. That was what was a bit bit limited in the denomination mom and dad were in. They were told to be limited in that area. I'm not sure if they listened. In fact, I kind of know they didn't. But when you just get free from things that are holding you back boy i'm telling you we went all out there was a church service between 92 and 96 where all the teenagers and even the little kids it was a worship night i'll never forget it as long as i live man something happened the atmosphere in this place shifted and there were children prophesying to each other, to their parents. Pastor Kent just went like this because everybody fell out all at one time. There was teenagers prophesying to each other in tongues and understanding what the other person was saying, like without even having to interpret it. I'll never forget this. People were crying. There was kids having encounters with the Holy Spirit. And let me tell you what happened after that. Freaked out some people. They split. Splitsville, right? They just ran. And they said that was a little bit much. I was like, yeah, you know, sometimes the move of the Holy Spirit is a little bit much. I mean, if you study revival history, there is a lot of too much happening in revival history. I mean, we could talk about the revival meetings in California where people would go into trances. What do I mean by that? Read your revival history. It meant they stood completely still, emotionless for hours, sometimes eyes wide opening, having encounters with the Lord. You could touch them and it's like their bodies were hard, like petrified. There was an article written in the L.A. Times about this happening, in, 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 in Catherine Kuhlman's services, and in, uh, all, in, in Amy Simple McPherson's services. Body parts growing back, yeah. babies coming back to life. And just let me tell you, revival's a little much. If you've been praying for revival, expect a little much. Expect your flesh to be a little bit, ooh. You know why that happens sometimes when someone's moving in the Holy Spirit? Because your flesh says, ooh, that's not normal. Because it's not normal to your flesh. It's a spirit thing. When someone starts speaking in tongues, that little thing you get where you're like, oh, man, this is kind of weird. Yeah, your flesh thinks it's kind of weird. Your flesh doesn't understand it. But you know what? Revival is a little much. And there was some stuff happening, and a lot of people left, and they weren't here anymore. I remember, man, we didn't have Facebook and Instagram back then. When your friends left the church, you just didn't see them that much. It was a sad thing back then. It It was like, well... I hope you invite me to your birthday party, you know, because that's probably the next time I'll see you, buddy. But through all those times, and some of them were hard, right? I remember as a kid hearing mom and dad talking about paying bills and even paying some of the church bills themselves over the years, right? We weren't always debt-free. We're debt-free, thank you, Jesus, because of so many years that these guys sewed and sewed and sewed, and sometimes it was hard. But there was always grace for the time of need. Between 92 and 96, man, one of the great things I remember, my dad had this idea to do a a cross-denominational, cross-ethnic lines production called Celebration, Your Passport to Salvation. There are people that remember this right now in the room, shaking their heads, saying, oh, God, because I'll tell you what, it was a production, and it was massive. And on purpose, my dad called some of his friends Uh, Who who pastored churches that didn't have congregations that looked like ours. Let's just be honest. Our church was mostly white. Theirs was mostly black. Another church that was mostly white. Another church that was mostly black. And dad got them all together and said, we got to do something to start breaking down some of these ethnic barriers in this city. So let's do something together. So my dad and another guy wrote a production that was just a little bit everywhere. It started off, it was about worship and and, and how people worship in different countries and and, in different time periods. And there was costumes and there was rehearsals. And the Holy Spirit broke out at some of these rehearsals and we couldn't even practice because people were just worshiping. And then we rented Ashbrook's auditorium and I believe sold it out for three or four shows. They both said, yeah, yeah, we sold it out, sure. That's how you remember it. See, that's how I remember it. We sold out Ashbrook, which at the time seated 30,000 people. And, no, it didn't really. It's, it's the same size now as it was then. I think it seats like 1,200 people. But it was a crowd, and it was awesome. It was awesome. And guess what? Nobody else I know of was doing that. And uh, it was powerful. I have the brochure in my office. I, I, I can show you all one day. We can have it up here. But Celebration... Your passport to salvation. I think for some, somehow it also ended up with Von Trapp children singing the Cuckoo Clock song at some point as well. Which I know isn't really worship, but I just remember the Von Trapp family having a scene in this thing. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, but you know, 1 Timothy 6.12, Paul's writing to Timothy and he says, Fight the good fight of faith. He says that because, I mean, sometimes it's a fight. You've heard me say this before, so I'm going to say it again. The only kind of good fight is one, you win. That's why Paul said good fight, because if you don't quit, you win. And there were some hard times in 92 to 96, even beyond. But you know what? You don't quit, and you win. And we're all fruit of that right here, right now. This morning is proof and fruit that if you don't quit, you win. In fact, one Sunday morning during this time period, my dad did quit. Some of y'all remember that. He walked up on stage, and he said, Okay, I've had enough. This is our last church service. We're quitting after this. It's just too hard. And he was done. He said it just like I'm talking to you. And there was a little lady. There's a picture of her in one of these pictures, Mama Prieto. She did not speak much English. She walked very slowly, and she sat at the back. My dad quit, and she walked very slowly down this aisle. And she comes up here, and she grabbed his tie, and she pulled him down. And in pretty good English, she said, You're my pastor, and I'll see you here next Sunday. And he said, all right, I guess we'll be back next Sunday. And then she walked back down to her seat and we finished church. He quit, right? But thank God she didn't let him because if you don't quit, you win many, many, many more years of successful ministry after that. In 1996, I think it was around 96, I might have the year a little bit off. Uh, my dad's pastor in Florida said, "Listen, you're, you're you're driving too much. It's a stray on your family. You need to start. You need to have somebody more more local that can pastor you and spend more time with you." I think he introduced my dad to a guy named Randall Worley, who pastored a church called Lifespring in Pineville. My dad instantly connected with them. They were from the same same place, West Side of Charlotte. Played sports together growing up, and Randall was just a, had been kind of in the Spirit-filled ministry a little bit longer than my dad, so my dad started to look to him as a pastor, and just like he wanted to call our church New Life, uh, after the first first man that pastored him, Paul Zink, he wanted to call the church Lifespring after that, so we changed the name to Lifespring, and uh, that, that was what the church was called from 96 to 01, and during that time... I remember there was so many formational, like fathers in the ministry would just speak into our life. A man named Dick Rubin, there's a picture of him up here. We met him during the Brownsville revival. Our family went down to Brownsville during that revival. And Steve Hill and John Kilpatrick prayed over us. I remember that laying hands on my sister and myself. and I remember falling out on the altar with my sister right beside me. When these guys prayed for us in Florida, a man named Dick Rubin, who was a part of that revival, came up here, I think, a few times. A lot of you guys were here. Some of y'all weren't a part of our church, but we were at um, things together that this guy, Dick Rubin, did. He led us in a Seder mill, the same mill that Jesus served to the disciples, the Last Supper. He, he led multiple churches here in the city in a Seder mill that was so special uh, when he did that. He, he, he was a Messianic Jew, so he he knew all about the history, and it was just so special having him come speak into our lives uh, during that time period. That's also the time period I started leading worship. I always say this, Kent, I don't know if you ever heard me say it, but uh, my dad, man, gave me an opportunity to jump up on stage and lead worship with the band when I was like 11 or 12 years old. I remember the Sunday I was getting water from that water fountain, think Kent was standing close by my dad just grabbed him right before service and said hey get a microphone up there for BJ today let him sing with y'all and as an adult I'm like boy I'm sure that drove pastor Kent crazy but either way he did it he gave me a microphone and even showed me a few guitar chords let me mess around with his guitar when it was here and probably broke strings on it and and uh, put dents in it whatever but but they gave me a place and, and that's something that uh as a pastor man that's where that comes from in my heart and Lisa's heart we have both seen our parents give people places for our entire lives. My dad and mom did it with me. They they had me up there singing, and Pastor Kent made that place for me, and I'm so grateful. I mean, I've been on this stage leading worship for like 27 years or something. I mean, that's a long time uh, to be doing that. But that was awesome. During that time, we had a, a youth group. Man, we had an awesome youth group. I had a youth leader that led me in the baptism of the Holy Spirit right here, On this altar, when I was 12 years old, I got filled with the Holy Spirit. And let me tell you, if you're not filled with the Holy Spirit, then what are you waiting on? Let me tell you how important it is. Let me just take a side note and tell you how important it is to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. The guys that walked with Jesus for three years, that saw him do the miracles, saw him resurrected and were seeing him ascend to heaven, Jesus told those guys, Go lock yourselves in a room and don't tell anybody about me until you're filled with the Holy Spirit. Just let that sink in. Jesus said, don't even go tell people about me. Don't even go preach until you're filled with the Holy Spirit. Because let me tell you, without the Holy Spirit, it's just a religion. And Jesus didn't want them going and spreading some dead religion with no power, no love, no kindness. The fruit of the Holy Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Going and telling people the good news without love. Paul said it's a clanging symbol. So Jesus said, hey, don't go out there and be a clanging symbol. Lock yourselves in a room. And when the Holy Spirit fills you up, then go tell people about me. Come on. Let it sink in. I hope that's what you're doing right now. I hope you're just letting that sink in that's how important it is to have the holy spirit indwelling on the inside of you and i'm so grateful that when i was 12 years old i don't even remember the day i got saved but i remember the day i got filled with the holy spirit right here at this altar i also remember this time uh, in 1998 when mike cavell was, was leading worship up here singing a song he wrote called pouring out a blessing i was sitting right where anthony and mason are sitting about right there and and i heard the word speak to me while mike was leading worship And I was just in a moment of worship and the Lord said, pursue me, don't pursue any earthly relationship. At the time, there was this girl I was really interested in dating and I just heard the Lord say no. And I was just dumb enough to listen to the Lord and say, all right, I'm just going to pursue you, forget all that. And man, I spent time pursuing the Lord in my teenage years instead of other relationships. And then when I was 18, I met Lisa and we got married shortly after that. But it was here in the house of the Lord, just worshiping with friends and family, and I heard the Lord speak to me words that guided and marked my life. Parents, give your children opportunities to hear the Lord. Make it this simple. Bring them to church. Bring them to church and worship with them. Man, bring them to youth group and allow people to speak into their lives because if you don't have people speaking into their lives on purpose, they're going to get it from Instagram Instagram and Twitter, and TikTok, and and, and all the mess on TV, somebody's speaking into their lives. But man, when our church was called Live Spring, man, we saw some powerful moves of the Lord. The gifts of the Holy Spirit were just in operation. What I remember most about that, again, was that, and all the way through this time period as well, the constant prayer and worship prayer and worship and we were doing a lot of seeking during that time right my, my parents came from a methodist background came from a vineyard background tony and jerry came from a, a other unique backgrounds mike and mary cavell who are all still here and the elders in our church all came from different backgrounds so that means you've heard a lot of different teachings over the years some things that that you're like well this doesn't make a ton of sense when you compare it to this i remember a lot of seeking as a kid during that time period i was asking questions well, how come when we pray for someone to be healed, we pray it if it's God's will? I mean, does God want us to be sick sometimes? I remember asking that question when I was 16, 17. There was a lot of us asking questions like that. And then something awesome happened. In 2001, uh, my dad's pastor, Randall Worley, was kind of moving on to a different part of his ministry. And didn't, it, wasn't, it, was, it was kind of like, a, you, you got to find somebody else, Pastor Barry. I can't be your pastor anymore. And my dad and mom, I think, maybe felt a bit homeless, possibly. But then my mom got invited to speak at a women's meeting. Just keep saying yes to the Lord. Just keep saying yes when he says to go. Because my mom didn't know these people. Somehow they asked her to come speak. It was probably the first time anybody had ever done that. She goes to this women's meeting, and she's speaking. There's a guy sitting behind my dad who he'd never met before, but he just started flicking my dad's ear, just started messing with him just flicking his ear, messing with him, blowing on the back of his neck. I, I mean, he's, Pastor Dean's a weird dude, right? He was just behind my dad messing with him. And so after this meeting, my dad says, who are you? Why are you doing this? Well, my name's Dean Melton. I pastor a church on the west side of Charlotte. That's where my dad grew up. So again, they, they found some common ground there. And uh, he, the, whatever he said to my dad that night, it just sparked something in my dad. He said, can I start spending some time with you? My dad would go to his office and spend time with him. And before a few months went by, My dad said, I I really would like for you to be my pastor. Pastor Dean said, well, I'll be your pastor. So just like the other times, my dad said, well, I want to call my church what your church is called. So we changed the name again, Freedom Christian Center of Gastonia in 2001. Pastor Dean is Lisa's uncle, so I met my wife during this time. Uh, We met Andrew Womack during this time. And one of the things that Pastor Dean and Andrew Womack blew our minds with as leadership and as people in this church is they did the simple thing of taking everything back to the Word. What does the Word say about the matter? We started a Bible college right here in in the church. Andrew Womack had a Bible college. His Bible college is huge now, Karis Bible College. Back then, it was called Colorado Bible College. Here's a quick story. I always told my mom and dad I was going to go to the college they had at church. They did not have a college at church. When all my friends were going to college, I still didn't have one. But in September of that year... We met Andrew Womack, and he said, You know, I have a Bible college, and we're doing extension campuses. Would your church want to host one? So that sounded fun. So we started a branch of Colorado Bible College, and in either late September or early October of the year, all my friends went off to college. I was sitting right here in this sanctuary, Tuesday nights and Thursday nights, and we were hardcore. We started at 7, and the last class was over at about 11, 11 And we did that every Tuesday and Thursday. I had 16 classmates. One of them was Lisa, my wife. And we sat beside each other and we took notes together. And one day I looked over and she wrote the words Lisa Marie Sullivan on her notes. And I was like, oh man. But I was also pretty dumb. So I was like, that's pretty random. She's dating someone with the last name Sullivan? And y'all are laughing, but I swear that's the truth. There was nothing inside of me that said, oh, Lisa kind of has a thing for me. I realistically thought she was dating somebody else named Sullivan. And I was like, wow, that's pretty random. I should ask her about that later. In In fact, we spent every day together for about a year, or not even a year, probably six months before her cousin Todd pulled me into this room and put a candle that he had prepared ahead of time that had wicks on both ends because I was dating this girl, we were dating, and this other girl named Heather. And my, he, he, he had this candle, and it had a wick on both ends, and he lit it. And he started telling me this story about the boy that burned the candle at both ends. We were writing songs together. We were, we were in Bible college together, and, and I had no idea what he was talking about. I was like, Todd, what are you doing? Why, what are you talking about? And by the time the, the candle's burning my fingers, he says... Do you really not know that my cousin is, likes you? And I said, No, she doesn't. And he goes, Yes, she does. And that was the first time I thought about that. Uh, I was very excited about it. Still, didn't believe him. I did not believe him. And it wasn't. It was months later. I finally uh, had broken up with this other girl and talked to Lisa about maybe does. Is there? Do you think you actually might be interested in in, in me? She's like, Nah. But. That's what happened, and, and we met Pastor Ian. I'm so grateful. We met my mother and father-in-law, and Karen Jolly, who started Ambassadors to the Nations. We got very involved in missions. Man, we had people in our church that would go on mission trips all the time with and Karen, especially Lisa and I would go all the time. But in 01, that's like when, when, when the dots just started connecting. We started doing Bible college. All of us, the entire leadership team sat here and did Bible college. And those questions we had during the previous season Why do we even say it? Lord, if it's your will, please heal. Well, we shouldn't say that. It's gibberish. It's God's will to heal. God wants us well. All of a sudden, we have this revelation knowledge of that. Well, what else do we know? Well, we know that the the, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus came to give us life and life abundantly. We started taking everything back. To the word and from 01 to 2016 until my dad passed away all I can tell you it was like building a foundation that was unshakable and then in 2016 I can tell you proof of that when my dad passed away unexpectedly on July 8th so uh, two days ago was the sixth anniversary of the day he passed away I know a lot of you weren't here but the first Sunday he was gone he died on a Friday it was a Sunday morning uh, my in-laws came to run the service of course we had been a we've been in in a directly connected to Freedom Christian Center in Charlotte pastor Dean these guys at this point for 15 16 years and so my in-laws came to do the service and my father-in-law grabbed me right before and he goes I know you don't want to but you got to say something you got to talk to your church because my mom had just pointed out to me the day before that I was the pastor I hadn't thought about that either. She said, I told her I think she is. And she goes, no, it's you. You're the pastor now. That was kind of mind-blowing. That was a whole different uh, thing to think about. Lisa and I were the worship leaders at the time, and the youth leaders, and toilet cleaners, and the moppers, and, and uh, all that stuff. But that, well, we also traveled. My dad sent us out. He said, go travel. We had a lot of invitations to lead worship, so we were on the road a lot. Well, that was kind of mind-blowing when mom said, you're the pastor now, and my my father-in-law agreed and said, you need to say something to your church. So I stood up in front of our church, and after 15 years of taking everything back to the Word and having a foundation on the Word, we saw and I saw the words of Jesus in Matthew 7 completely in action. It says, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes and Torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house it won't collapse because it's built on bedrock But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish like a person who builds a house on sand When the rains and floods come and the wind beats against that house it will collapse with the mighty crash I've spoken to at least five or six other people in the past six years who lost a pastor and the church completely dissipated and fell to nothing when my dad died the first thing I said to our church I stood up here and I said, this was not God's will. My dad was supposed to get up off of that bed. And I stand on that to this day. He was supposed to get up. He wasn't supposed to die at 59. None of us are either. Right? We're supposed to have an expected end, a hope, and a future. This is what I said next. I don't know why he died. I still say that. I don't know why it happened. But we have a foundation that's built on the rock of the word. And the rock of the word says he was supposed to get up. And you know we saw miracles before that. We've saw people healed of cancer before that. We've seen heart conditions healed. We've seen legs grow out in front of our eyes. We've seen the miraculous and then he died. And the next thing I said was next time somebody comes in here with a heart problem, we're not going to think about him dying. We're going to speak to it. We're going to pray and we're going to see it healed. Do you know, within just a few weeks of him passing away, we prayed for our, my friend Tamara. There's a picture of the roots up here. We prayed for Tamara, who had three discs in her back, who were, com- they were completely disintegrating. We prayed, and, and miraculously, she went for an x-ray the next day for a surgical consultation, and she had three completely whole discs. That's called a creative miracle. They weren't there before, and they were there the next day. That's powerful. And let me tell you why we still see miracles, why people are still getting healed, because the foundation is the word. And even when we don't see it in the natural, we still choose to believe it. Well, he died, and we don't know why, but we still choose to believe God heals every time. We still choose to believe it. So we saw that because of my dad, because of my mom, because of the leadership team here. Because we said yes and started a college. Because we said yes and, 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 and just kept saying yes. When something earth-shattering happened, when something that changed everything about our church and our family happened, I'm telling you, we weren't shaken. The church has only grown since then. It's been steady growth in every way possible now for six years And it's not because we're young or whatever and he was old or something, we painted the building or whatever. We did renovations. None of that's why. Man, if that was how make a church grow the right way, then every church in America should just do that, right? But that's not what happens. No, it's it's the Lord that brings growth. It's the Lord that brings increase. And we just kept saying yes. So you know, 2001 to 2016, Man, that was like building a foundation that wasn't shaken. It took a lot of unlearning. You can ask anybody that was here from that time. There was a lot of unlearning that happened. Lisa and I say this all the time. We are so grateful we're raising our kids in an environment and a church that points to the word. And they're not having to go back and unlearn a bunch of dead religion. They're not going to have to go back and unlearn a bunch of dead ceremonies that some tradition threw on them. But they just get to go to the word and operate in grace from start of their life to the finish man since 2016 to now we could talk all day about it because it has been a very full awesome six years we've done renovations here i just mentioned that we've done renovations that's a whole nother story just let me tell you we spent in real dollars seventy-seven thousand dollars went into renovations here out of our church account after we added up all the checks we had written, it was 7700 or something. It was like exactly only 10% of the real dollars that went into the renovation came out of our church account. People stepped up when we were doing renovations. And don't even go to church here. Called me and said, what can I do? I want to pay for something. Somebody paid for the floors to be redone. Somebody else paid for us to put in an AC unit. I mean, it was awesome. And that was renovations. We didn't pay for a dollar worth of labor. Some of you, all of you, there's pictures up there. We're serving. We had people sanding this floor that have never sanded floors before. Me and my brother-in-law built that. Neither one of us are handy whatsoever. Elijah said, I need somebody who's a five out of ten handyman to build this wall. BJ, you're probably a two. Clint, you're a three. Together, that makes you a five. Let me show you how to do it. And he showed us, and we built that. And Bethany helped, because uh, I have a picture of Bethany helped, Tia helped. We built that little decoration right there. We cut the wood. We pinned it into the wall. It's still there six years later, right? That's pretty good. I think I went up to a four. I was a two. I'm a four now. And then we moved, and we did renovations on our house, our, ourselves too. So I'm going to say that took me to a five. I think I'm a five now out of ten when it comes to handiwork. But we did renovations here, and it was awesome. The Lord spoke to Lisa and even told her recently that, 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 that there's going to be spiritual things that come from the natural things. And when we did these renovations, it wasn't just to do it. It was because the Lord said to do it. We said yes, and we saw provision. And in the last six years, we've seen so much provision. We've never had uh, much of a staff here. My dad was on staff. I was on paid staff for a while now, we have five people on paid staff. I cannot tell you how much of a dream it is to work hand-in-hand with my best friends on staff here at church. And we have bigger vision than that. We, we, have, we see more in the future, and we're, we're headed in that direction. But that's a huge deal. We have volunteer staff that are here at, at leadership meetings and that love nothing more than just to serve the community. Love on you. Uh, Pastor Tom and Michelle as our family pastors, listen... Pastor Tom and Michelle know your birthday. Did did y'all know that? They know your anniversary. So when you have a birthday, when you have an anniversary, look for Pastor Tom and Michelle to reach out and talk to you because they love you that much. We got people here. This team is a dream. This team is a a dream, and it's growing, and we're so excited. You see that? Taking the limits off God. That's what was up here for years and years and years, and we're going to find a way to put it up. Not up there. But man, we're going to bring that phrase back. Why is that so important? For 30 years, man, the fight is taking the limits off God. He is unlimited. And it says in the book of Hosea, the children of Israel limited what God wanted to do through them. Man, if you read the word, you see over and over again how in people's humanity, they limited what an unlimited God wanted to do we got 30 years of trying to take those limits off. And I'm looking forward to the next 30 and beyond. It has been an awesome, awesome thing. You know, one more funny story. Uh, when, when, when we started pastoring, Lisa and I, for whatever reason, one of the things that came up was we just wanted to have the word Gastonia in our name because we are so called to this community. So Freedom Christian Center of Gastonia was kind of the name, but it's like that's so long Maybe we could just shorten it to Freedom Church Gastonia. So I'm thinking legally, I'm very, uh, I'm kind of a a detail person. So I actually reached out and talked to somebody at the IRS. I got somebody to answer. And uh, I said, our name of our church is Freedom Christian Center of Gastonia. We want to change it probably to Freedom Church Gastonia. What's that process look like? And the guy says, you don't need to change it. It's almost the exact same thing. You can write checks and do business as Freedom Church Gastonia with that name. You should just do that. So we went to the bank, and and I'm thinking, all right, the IRS says we should just call it that. The bank says this isn't hard, but I just kind of need a sign. I need a sign. Should we do this? And I don't always ask for a sign, but I literally felt the Lord say, ask me for a sign. I pulled up to church the next day, and the literal sign that had been on the front of our church for 15 years said, Freedom Church Gastonia. It didn't even say Freedom Christian Center. It said Freedom Church, Gastonia. And I guess I just never realized it. It was the big banner hanging on the front. There's a picture of it up there. It had been in front of us. And on the church, it said Freedom Church, Gastonia for 15 years. So so without any further thought, we just went with it. And so that's how we have been called Freedom Church, Gastonia now for the past six years. And let me tell you, it's a good call because if you look up churches in Gastonia, Freedom Church, Gastonia is the first one every time. Every time, go Google it at some point today. Just look up Churches in Gastonia. Our website is the top one, I guess, because we have Gastonia in the name because we do not pay for that at all, right? So that's pretty good. Here's what I want to say, this lesson from these past six years. The Bible says this in Proverbs 10:22. the blessing of the Lord makes a person rich. He adds no sorrow with it. He adds no sorrow to his blessings. Listen, six years ago, it was like a season that started with sorrow. And and, and we still, of course, feel it as a family. We still feel it as a church, but sorrow isn't a negative thing. Uh, It's something that we will feel and experience here as long as we're on this earth. And in fact, when we feel sorrow, it's a bit of a reminder of how much we love somebody or how much we love somebody who's gone. It's a bit of a blessing, really. And it's almost sad that I don't quite feel as much sorrow six years later as we did six years ago. It's, It's like the reminders are a little more few and far between. But as a believer, we have this promise that joy comes in the morning. That our morning becomes dancing. Our sorrow is turned to joy. Jesus fills it with us. Jesus fills and experiences all of it with us. The Bible says in Isaiah, he was a man of constant sorrows. In Romans, it says that all the gladness was poured out on him greater than any other. He fills the sorrow. He experiences the joy with us. He never leaves us alone. And let me tell you, we've seen blessing after blessing here at FCG the last six years. And there hasn't been... There hasn't been, well, this is great, but, but, but. I mean, no, no, we have seen the hand of the Lord move. And, you know, I wrote this this week on a social media post. My dad should be here, right? He should be here. He's not. But it doesn't mean it's the end. We're all going to see him one day again. We'll be there with him in heaven. Until then, man, I'm so thankful that we had a pastor here for 24 years and a pastoral team elders that taught And stood on the word of God and weren't afraid to say, hey, we might have had it wrong a little bit, but here's what we're seeing now. And and literally as a group, as a church, almost shifting even theologically together. That was awesome. That's powerful. I I don't know if you see that that often, right? But, But we saw it here. We experienced it here. And these past six years have been awesome. I'm so excited to see where the Lord's taking our church. I'm so excited to see how he takes us even further and deeper into this community. Y'all know we started declaring these verses a year ago that the blessing that rests upon the righteous is enough to lift an entire city up. Listen, Gastonia, the surrounding areas, it's got to start right here. It's got to start in our own homes. But man, we are impacting this city. And I'm so excited to see how much more of an impact we are called to make. Listen, I could go on and on and on. I know I'm already a little bit over what we normally do, but it's 30th year anniversary, right? And we're eating here, so you don't have to go like wait in the line or something. We have homemade, home grilled, in the rain, burgers and hot dogs, and I think there's chips and, and, and all kinds of things, and we're going to do baptisms, And if it's raining, then you're going to be wet anyway, so it doesn't matter. This will be just fine. Uh, So we're going to have fun. There's a bouncy house out there, so we're just going to celebrate. So I know I'm a little bit late, but please stick around. Eat with us. There's going to be plenty of food for everybody. Uh, There's going to be plenty of, it'll be good fellowship. So meet somebody you don't know, maybe. Reach out, sit with somebody. If we can't get outside, we'll set tables up in here. We'll make it, we'll make it work. Again, that's ministry. Right? You just make it work sometimes. My mom told this great story this morning. I'll close with this, so the band, y'all come up. My mom told this great story this morning of the day, I, I gotta be honest, it reminded me of me and Lisa a little bit. It was the day, she said they were they, they got curtains for the sanctuary. And it was a Saturday night, and they wanted to hang these curtains. And so my dad had the idea that I actually witnessed Pastor Kent do more than a few times. To reach the ceiling, uh, you stack an eight-foot table on top of another eight-foot table, and then the 12-foot ladder on top of that second table, and then you climb up, you get an additional, you know, five or six feet. So my mom says to my dad, Barry, this Saturday night, you don't need to fall off that ladder and hurt yourself, and we can't have church tomorrow. And he said, well, you just need to pray while I'm up here, which means if I fall, that's your fault. You weren't praying good enough. So she says that he climbed up the ladder, and we probably honestly could tell a thousand stories about stuff like this, but he climbs up the ladder, hangs the curtain, and not only did the curtain look beautiful, mom said she was so relieved that he didn't fall off the ladder and hurt himself that when he went to the sound system, this is something I do all the time, and played his favorite album through the church sound system, which was Paul Simon's Graceland, that he played it through the big system and my mom who did not dance was so relieved that he was alive just danced with him that night and they spent saturday night dancing to paul simon in this sanctuary uh and she said she had never let him lead before she always thought he was a bad dancer but that night she was so relieved and relaxed she let him lead and realized he was a pretty good dancer she was the bad dancer but that night they had fun dancing and i can't tell you but I, I can tell you story after story, and you know what they go back to? To me is happy are those who dwell in the house of the Lord. Tia can attest, Saturday after Saturday, our family of four at the time doing yard work, right? Pastor Kent would join us. Jerry would join us doing yard work all day on a Saturday. But there's some of my favorite memories because you know what? Happy are those who dwell in the house, of Lord. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in your home than anywhere else. I'd rather sweep the floors of the sanctuary than than be anywhere else. I'd rather be here at eight o'clock on Sunday mornings making coffee and pastry for you guys. We don't make the pastries. I'd rather be putting them out on plates than anywhere else on Sunday morning. I'd rather be hanging out with the youth on Wednesday than anywhere else. And man, we have such an awesome, awesome place here. And I can tell you without a shadow of a doubt, happy are those who dwell in the house of the Lord man, thank you, Jesus. Let's all stand together. Thank you all for letting me go a little bit over. Let's close this out. Let's close out our 30th anniversary service with just some focus on Jesus and a few minutes of worship here. We'll still have our prayer ministers come up after this, but let's let's just worship for a few moments. I know I'm gonna lift up a grateful heart, stirred up, from remembering the last 30 years of ministry here. Thank you, Jesus.